0: Following is a chapter reading by the Worm Audiobook Project. Please support the original author at parahumans.wordpress.com. Thank you and enjoy. Arc 29, Venom, Chapter 1. Tattletail stirred. I could see the usual confusion that went with waking up in unfamiliar surroundings. She adjusted faster than most. There was no flailing about for a point of reference so everything could start to make sense again. Her power supplied it. Hey, she said. Hey, I replied. Think the world's going to end today? She asked as she stretched, still lying down. World already ended, if we're talking about our world. Too much damage done. Maybe she said. "'Humans are resourceful. Resourceful and stubborn. But you kind of live that, don't you?' I nodded. "'Guess so.' Tattletail picked a bit of grit out of the corner of her eye with a fingernail. "'You didn't sleep?' "'Not so much.' "'Idiot. I've been learning to deal. Pulled enough stakeouts to adapt.' "'Idiot,' Tattletail said again. She raised herself to a sitting position. "'You need to be in top-fighting shape.' "'I slept for three days after getting cut in half,' I protested. "'Only shows how much you needed the sleep,' she said. "'The Simurgh was being eerie, singing you a lullaby. "'You really expect me to sleep after that?' "'The lullaby wasn't for me,' Tattletail said. "'I didn't sense any hostile intent.' "'I turned my head. "'My expression was hidden, but she read my confusion anyway. "'I mean, I think some of it was for my benefit.' But it didn't fit like that was the be-all and end-all of the singing. She was doing something else. I don't get it. Neither do I, but she's not exactly an easy one to get. Who knows what she sees? Maybe she's singing for a reason that isn't apparent yet. That was unsettling. I thought of what the Simmer had said. It didn't serve to keep secrets right now. It'd be disastrous if the worst-case scenario and Tattletail was the best person to go to when I needed answers. She apologized. The Simurg? Tattletail asked. She gave me a funny look. Believe it or not, she said I'm sorry. She doesn't talk, Tattletail said. I know, but I heard it. Anyways, she isn't sorry, Tattletail said. I'd put money on it. I've got a lot of money to put on it, if anyone's willing to take the bet. A couple million in liquid assets. I shook my head. I won't take that bet. Look, just keep it in mind. Filed away, Tattletail promised. For now, though, we should mobilize, I said. As if I could distract myself. Get everyone on the same page. Start putting heads and powers together. Sounds like a plan, Tattletail responded. She pulled off a glove, then reached into her belt to get a small tin from one pouch. Two minutes to get myself presentable. "'Could do with a shower, but I think people are a little past that right now.' I nodded. "'Most of the capes I'd seen were a little rougher around the edges, "'the shine gone from their costumes, a little dustier, their hair greasier, chins unshaven. "'Psychologically, it was much the same. "'This had hit us all hard. "'I liked to think I was rolling with it better than some, "'if only because I'd had two years to anticipate it. "'Then again, I was good at self-delusion.' I thought about Clockblocker, his optimism. When I'd been talking about expecting the worst, he'd argued for the opposite. I didn't want to diminish what I felt about him being dead in the general sense by thinking about something so petty, but a part of me was disappointed I couldn't talk to him now after the fact and see how he was doing, if he was coping better than I had. It wasn't that I was coping, exactly. I wasn't happy, confident, or unafraid, The only thing I could say is that I had been able to brace myself. I'd bought into Dinah's prophecy more than just about anyone else. I'd braced myself, and I'd nearly broken regardless. I could tell myself that the point where I'd been floating over the ocean by New Brockton Bay had only been the desire to get away, nothing darker. But I wasn't sure I was telling the truth. I could think back to the point where I'd snapped after I'd been cut in half by Scion and tell myself I was lucid, but I wasn't sure that was true either. Hard to say I held my own when I wasn't sure how much was me and how much was the adrenaline at work, or other things. "'Any opinion, passenger?' I asked. "'Were you up against your maker? You going to hold back, or are you going to go all out?' "'No response.' course tattletail was smearing black grease paint around her eyes she'd finished the hardest part around the eyelashes and spoke up as she filled the rest in you got in touch with everyone that you wanted to talk to almost everyone ah i can guess who you didn't actively look for this denial worries me i shrugged no use dwelling on it your decision in the end let's move on to a happier topic You think we ever make it this far? To the end of the world? That's a happier topic. To the top of the heap, as far up there as we could hope to be. We're not big leaders, Tattletail. Not the most powerful capes out there. But we're talked about around the world. We're on speaking terms with some of the biggest and scariest motherfuckers out there, Tattletail gestured towards the window, towards the Simurg. We'd be front page news if the news still existed. I'm not sure being news would be a good thing, I said. Which isn't to say word isn't getting around, you know. Charlotte knew. Charlotte's connected to Sierra and the rest of our infrastructure in Gimel. That doesn't really surprise me, Donald Hill said. She pulled her hair out of the loose ponytail she'd had it in, then combed her fingers through it to get it more or less straight. It still had kinks and waves where it had been braided. Something she would have fixed before going out in costume in more ordinary circumstances, for caution's sake. Hmm, I acknowledged her. Maybe I was tired. My thoughts were wandering some. I tried to set things up so we'd have some way of maintaining communications and getting some information in, getting information out. Like I told people about what you said about Scion hating duplication powers. Anyways... Only the very high-tech and very low-tech have really survived. Satellites and hard copies. She lifted one of the files I'd stacked on the floor, as if to give evidence to the point. Reading up? I picked up a file as well, leafing through it. I wasn't sleeping, so while you were out, I got in touch with Defiant and one of your minions, arranged for the most essential status updates to come in on paper. I figured I could update you after you got up. The delivery stopped a good bit ago, but one of the last status updates was about Dragon, so I guess she's handling her old duties while Defiant recuperates from the last few days. Yes yeah, so, Tattletail said. I turned my head to see what she was doing, but she was already crossing the room. Doormaker is napping, I guess, I said. He just decided to leave one open and he hasn't been responding. I double-checked the portal, making sure he wasn't trying to tip us off to anything important but it opens to a pretty remote area of EarthBet. Tattletail went still. Doormaker doesn't sleep. I raised my eyebrows, realizing Tattletail couldn't see them, and cocked my head quizzically instead. There's a lot of capes who don't sleep. About a year ago, I started digging into the PRT files. Hired the Red Hands to steal a more up-to-date set, even. I was looking into clues for understanding this whole thing, you know. Best leads at the time were Memories and Dreams. Clues popping up here and there, relating to people's dreams, or gaps in memories. Dreaming differently, seeing things instead of dreaming. Case 53 suffering for their amnesia. Well, there are a number of Noctus capes, named after a vigilante hero that was up at all hours. The opposite of what I was looking for, but a good data point anyways. Capes who don't dream because they don't sleep. PRT confirmed a few members of their own, Miss Militia included. As examples. Others have been marked down as guesses. Doormaker and Contessa are among them. They said, going by the times the Boogeyman was showing up. So, if he doesn't sleep, why leave a door open and ignore us? Tattletail asked. I shook my head a little. Doorway, Tattletail tried. There was no response. No portal. No door. Door? Portal? Open sesame? I tried. That's worrisome, Tattletail said, keeping her voice low. She clipped on her belt, tapping at each of her pockets, as if to check the contents were still there. She drew her gun and checked it for bullets. We should go, I said. We're definitely going, Tattletail said, but she didn't budge as she double-checked her gun, pulling the slide back. I resisted the urge to comment on how useless a gun was, considering what we were up against. I could remember how she'd fared when the assassin targeted her, Accord and Chevalier. There were other threats. "'Right,' Tattletail said, finally finishing, grabbing her laptop and tucking it under one arm. That was our go signal. We broke into stride. We passed a soldier, and Tattletail signaled him, raising a finger. He stopped and wheeled around, following. "'We're going,' Tattletail said. "'Ship up, move out,' "'If we come back and settle in here, then so be it, but let's not plan on it.' "'Yes, ma'am.' "'Get someone to collect my things. All the files, the computers, the food, everything.' "'Get it all to the far side of the little doorway,' Tattletail looked at me. "'Where's the doorway?' "'A bit outside the front doors,' I said. what she said,' Tattletail told her mercenary. "'If we're gone, just hold position. If we're still gone after 24 hours, assume we're dead.' Get my data and backups to of my notes to someone who matters. Then consider the job done. Collect your payment, go on your merry way. I'll make sure everyone's informed. Do, she said. Then, as if to offset the curt command, she added, Thanks, Tug. He gave us a sloppy salute as he broke away, turning down a different corridor. I had my phone out before I was outside. My bugs let me navigate the stairs without taking my eyes from the screen as I input commands. It was cold out, almost cold enough it would impair my bugs, and a heavy fog hung over the open clearing. The stout military building stood in an open, overgrown grassland encircled by evergreen trees. No reception. Not a surprise, but inconvenient. I watched as we got closer to the portal Doormaker had left open. Tattletail, for her part, turned around, walking backwards as we reached the bottom of the steps. With the phone still dark, I took a moment to look in the same direction. I was treated to the intimidating image of the Simurgh passing over the building. She moved as if she was light as a feather, but I knew that wasn't true. She was heavier than she looked, by a considerable margin. Had she set her full weight on the roof, she would plunge through. Like someone playing hopscotch on the moon, the Simurgh set one foot down on the roof, hopping forward, set another foot on the very edge, and pushed herself off. She floated down to the space beside the portal, then unfolded her wings, drawing the halo out to its full breadth. The movement sent swirls of dust and fog rippling across the edges of the clearing, stopping only as they crashed into a line of trees. She changed the guns, I observed. She did, Telltale observed. Cosmetic changes. Each of the Simurg's guns had been streamlined. The outer casings, barrels, and the handles reworked into wings. Three concentric circles of interconnected guns, all redesigned to appear like an extension of her own wings behind her. Why Cosmetic? way I understand it, she needs to have a tinker in her sphere of influence to borrow their schematics, or a specific device if she wants to copy it. Thinkers, too. I think she borrows their perception powers as long as she's tapped into them. Might be why she's attached to me. Either way, she didn't have the schematics or anything she'd need to modify the guns. Or she can modify them, and it's a card she's been keeping up her sleeve for the last while. I mean, it was only three years ago or whatever that she really showed off her ability to copy a tinker's work wholesale. Tattletail nodded. She frowned. I don't like being in the dark, but that's the gist of it. She made cosmetic changes because she couldn't make concrete ones. Well, it's unnerving to think about, but anything about the Simurgh is, I commented. When I ask about the aesthetics, though, I wasn't asked about the why so much as the "'So much as the... why?' Tail asked, emphasizing the word. "'Yeah,' I said, lamely. "'Why does she care? Why does she have feathers and wings? "'For all intents and purposes, she could be a crystal that floats here and there. "'The end result is pretty much the same. A few less weapons... "'Behemoth? I mean, you saw what he was when we reduced him to a bare skeleton.' All the extra flesh? It's decorative. He doesn't really need any particular parts, except legs to move around. It's there to dress them up so they make better terror weapons, I said. Basically, Tattletail said. That's not a good omen, I said, because Scion doesn't feel fear, I'm pretty sure. Maybe he doesn't, and this is a little embellishment for our sake, for when she turns on us, Tattletail said. "'Can you not spell that out when she's standing 20 feet away?' I asked. My pulse picked up at, a little at the idea, my heart kicking a little in my chest as I started to switch into a different gear. "'She knows we're thinking it,' Tattletail said. "'And she knows there's another explanation we could make. Maybe it's a clue. A hint.' "'About what?' I asked. "'About Sion? "'About Scion,' she said. "'A hint that he can feel fear?' It didn't ring true, but I preferred it to the alternative. Let's go through and, I said, I couldn't bring myself to say I hoped. Maybe the Simmerg can make her way through the portal, and maybe we'll find out. Yep, Tattletale said, smiling a little. She probably knew the reason behind my word choice. For that matter, it was very possible the Simmerg did too. Which left me with the question of why I'd even bothered. Going through, I thought, hopefully there's people on the other side that can't read me like a book. My phone lit up as a connection was established to a satellite. A moment later, the connection was secured. The clock changed, followed by a time zone and a symbol. 4.46, Eastern Standard Time, Earth Bet. I stared at the world that stretched out before us, and it was... wrong. Perspective was skewed. Lines bent where they should have been straight, and the expanse to our left was somehow more extensive than the space to our right. The horizon should have been straight, or at least a gentle curve to accommodate the planet's natural curvature, but it was almost a wavy line. The fuck? I muttered. Vista. Cattletail said, very matter of factly. The Simurg reached the portal. I was reminded of Leviathan breaking into the shelter beneath the library as I saw her put one hand on each side of the portal. She wasn't quite as large as he was, until you added up the wings and wingspan, put all the wings together, and her mass was probably equivalent to her older brother's. She passed through with little effort, dropping almost to her knees to get her head through. The wings followed. Each wing stretched all the way behind her. The feathers rasped against the boundaries of the portal as she floated forward. The outer edges wavered a fraction, as if the stress threatened to bring the portal down entirely. Then she was through. She flexed her wings, then folded them around herself. The halo came through in pieces. That answers that, Tattletail said. She added a very unenthusiastic... Yay. The dragonfly made its way to us, stopping no less than four times. With each stop, it descended to the ground and refused all incoming commands. A minute would pass, and then it would take off again. It took me a bit to realize why. Vista. The autopilot didn't seem to like her power. Just how much area is she manipulating? I asked. She was only ever held back by the Madden effect, Tattletale said. Number of people in the area. And there's not many people left in Earth-Bet, I spoke my thoughts aloud as I made the connection. Consider it a bonus, Tattletale said, raising her head as the dragonfly came into view. In a sad, not-really-a-bonus sort of way, empty Earth makes for a convenient battleground. If we're able to fight here, that is. The dragonfly set down, the ramp opening before it was even on terra firma. It took a minute to plot out the route the dragonfly should take, looking at what the cameras had tracked, seeing where the distortions were. Something's really wrong, Tattletail said. With the distortions? The distortions are like a band-aid. Vista's trying to fix something that's gotten fucked up, she said. How do you plot the course? I mapped out a course to take us to the Gimel portal. Tattletail changed the course, adjusting it to match the distortions we'd mapped and some we hadn't. It took several minutes, all in all, but the resulting trip was fast. The Dragonfly's onboard system kept trying to calculate the remaining time for the trip based on our location, only to get tripped up by the folded and pinched space. Then we hit Silk Road's power, and accelerated to nearly three times the speed. Tattletail was caught off guard, standing beside my chair, and fell, dropping her laptop onto the hard floor. Both the distortion and Silk Road's power stopped when we were a distance from the portal. The effect was disorienting. Corridors of folded space with the dim pink corridors of Silk Road's power stretched out in every direction, connecting points. Towers surrounded Brockton Bay, set on mountains and high ground within the city itself. It necessitated a careful approach, As we passed between two, I saw that they were communication towers, crafted to put satellite dishes in at high points rather than provide shelter. The craft settled down, and we climbed out. They'd finished the ramp leading up to the portal, and it was easy enough to make our way up. I opted to walk beside Tattletail instead of using my jetpack's fuel. Twelve percent capacity remaining, an hour or two of flight. Vista stood at the top of the platform, on our side of the portal. A Chinese woman in elaborate sari-style dress stood beside her, as did a man I recognized as the Knave of Hearts from the suits. Others were nearby, but seemed less like a part of the group and more like bystanders. Kid Win was sitting at the edge of the platform, tools and a gun in his lap, abandoned as he stared at the Simurgh. The Knave of Hearts muttered something in what I was guessing was Dutch, Louder, he commented. They weren't joking. What happened? I asked the second I had their attention. Cauldron's running with their tail between their legs, Vista said. Big promises, excuses about having all the power and being the only ones who can really put the screws to Scion, and then they run at the last minute. Let's not be hasty, the Nava Heart said. It's possible Scion hit their headquarters. We won't know until we have more information. ''We can't get information,'' Vista said, ''because they never gave us a better way of getting in contact, and they never told us where their headquarters are.'' ''Yes,'' Dave said. He looked at me. ''We have no portals but the ones that were left open. We cannot communicate by opening a portal and talking to the other person. Vista Silk Road and I are attempting to patch together an answer. A workaround.'' ''Fast transportation between key areas,'' Dattletail observed your power in Silk's Roads to make the corridors. I am handling communication and pinpointing the other portal locations, Knave said. The heart of the suits have good relations with other teams and places. I can give you the coordinates, Tattletail said. We have the coordinates, Knave said, sounding annoyed. All but the concealed portals. I think I know where those are, Tattletail said. Knave looked even more annoyed at that, but he nodded. Step through. Talk to the guys at the station. They'll get you set up. We'll handle the ones we know about while we wait. The station was on the other side of the portal. A way to keep the civilians from trying to go back to Bet to loot and getting themselves killed or stranded. And a place where they could reorganize things. Tattletail and I both gave up our phones. The technicians on the other end changed settings to bring them on board with the hodgepodge arrays they'd put up on both Bet and Gimel. Tattletail reclaimed her phone, then paged through the contents, checking settings. When she was satisfied, she looked at me. I don't expect you to hang around while I'm doing the geek thing and pointing these guys in the right places. I nodded. I'll see how the others are doing and get back to you. Getting the Endbringers on board had marked the point where we'd stop reeling and started preparing again. I could see the results. The Gimel settlement was swiftly transforming from a sprawling refugee camp to a staging ground. Refugees were being escorted and transported to other locations, packing up tents and possessions and climbing into trucks and helicopters. It made room for the capes that were here. Miss Militia was at the center of it, giving orders, managing the capes and the civilians in charge. "'Squads were organized, many from the Protectorate, not in rank and file, "'but clustering according to their respective teams or organization. "'Here and there, they'd gathered in more specialized groups. "'I could see Rachel, Imp, Foyle, and Parian with the Chicago wards, "'sitting or lying on the closest bins that held supplies for the settlement. "'Only Gollum was absent. "'I felt a moment's trepidation.' I had doubts, regrets, even a kind of shame when it came to the Chicago teams. I'd said it out loud, but I'd never really faced the decision I'd made, giving up on being a hero. Still, I found myself walking up to them. "'Here she is,' Grace said. "'Make your way here okay, Weaver?' "'Doormaker left a door open for us,' I said. "'You left doors open for everyone,' Tecton said. "'But navigation's a little tricky.' Can't always make it from point A to point B. We did okay, I said. Vista was saying this is a cut and run on Cauldron's part, but I can't imagine this is something malicious or cowardly. They wouldn't have left portals here if it was. I agree, Tecton said. Who's looking into it, I asked. Satyr and the other Ex vegas capes, Grace replied. Isn't that like sending the fucking fox to guard the hen house? Romp asked. Except it's sending the confusing mind-game headfuckers to answer the confusing fucked-up riddle? Yes, Imp said. Totally. God, it's nice to finally have someone who can explain situations clearly. More like, Foyle said, sending a group that's very well-versed in conspiracy and subterfuge to deal with the sort of thing they're very good at handling. Now you're being confusing, Imp said. Where's Tattletail? Rachel asked. Outside helping Vista and Silk Road put together a new rapid travel route. Okay, she said. Do you miss her? Imp asked, turning around. Like, actually, she's a member of the team. But you miss her! That's awesome! I don't, Rachel said. Then after a moment's thought, she added, and that means it isn't awesome. I thought you couldn't stand her. I can stand her, and it took a long time to get that far. "'That's all it is,' Rachel said. "'But you asked for, like, the first time forever. "'I have a question for her, that's all.' "'Romp looked at her teammates, turning to Grace, then Tecton. "'Am I the only one who hears these guys talk "'and wonder how the fuck they ever got to be in charge of a city?' "'Don't fucking swear,' Grace said, "'saying the line as if it was reflexive by now.' "'Romp looked annoyed.' But Cuff smiled, and I could see Tecton looking away, as if he was forgetting that people couldn't see his face while he had the helmet on. I, too, smiled. Rump was completely unaware about why it was funny that Grace was admonishing her on the swearing. I turned to Rachel. What's the question? Something I can help with? She shrugged. This dork with Miss Militia was trying to tell me some tinker was wanting to t- try something with my power. Give my dog some drug shit a rat made? I didn't follow, and he kept talking to me like I have brain damage, which I don't, so I didn't listen. Which made the guy step it up even more, Imp commented, until it sounded like he was talking to a five-year-old. I walked away, Rachel said. Stuff a rat made? I asked. Lab rat, Imp said. Wouldn't work, I said. Her power burns up toxins and chemicals in the dog's systems. I said that when they said they wanted to use drugs, Rachel said. They know that already, Imp said. They wanted to try anyways, have some things left over from previous fights. Dosing the mutated dogs with lab rats' leftover transformation serums? Would the gains be additive? The drugs they're talking about are the only reason I'm still here, I said. Honestly, I'm seeing only two outcomes. Three, maybe. Maybe. The effects stack up, and Rachel's dog gets even tougher and more versatile. The dog ceases to be a dog while the serum's active, and Rachel's power stops working. Or it's made for humans and not dogs, and we get a negative reaction. Two out of three odds, Romp said. Actually, Tecton said, nothing's guaranteeing the odds of any result are even. Could be a 10% chance of the first, 5% chance of the second, 85% chance of the last one. And a 5% chance it's something else entirely, Imp said sagely. Tecton shook his head. That doesn't add up. Ignore her, Perian said. The numbers don't mean anything to me, Rachel said. She frowned, making eye contact with me. You think I should? I do. Anything and everything we can think of to mix po- things up or combine powers is good. I really like that there are people out there thinking outside the box. It's exactly what we need right now. "'Right,' Rachel said. "'She hopped down from the lid of the supply container. "'Going to go talk to her, then. "'If that guy tries to baby-talk me again, "'I'm gonna make Bastard bite him.' "'No way. "'You gotta fuck with his head,' Imp said. "'Biting people is more satisfying,' Rachel responded. N- "'No, look, uh, Tech done. "'you gotta give me something really smart and scientific-sounding. "'Like, say what Taylor said, but in smart-guy words.' Critical mistake here. You're implying Tecton is smart, Romp said. Tecton sat up straighter. Hey, just because I'm not your team leader anymore, you're totally not the one who gets to order me around, Romp replied. Deal with it. Run a lap, Grace said, her voice quiet. Romp turned around, eyebrows raised. A lap? Two laps, Grace said, her voice quiet, cold, and dangerous. For not moving the second i gave you the order what am i supposed to fucking run around three laps for swearing four because you're still here you can do five if you don't move now start running and if you don't pick a big enough area to run around i can give you a few more laps this is balls romp said hopping down from the bin's lid five laps then grace said i know i'm getting more laps by talking But I need to to state the truth for the record. She kept talking, speaking with each footfall. Balls, balls, balls. The moment she was out of earshot, Grace and the others broke into laughter. Foyle was the only member of the Undersiders who seemed to get it, her shoulders shaking in silent laughter. I can't believe she actually went, Cuff said. Don't let her exhaust herself, Tecton said. Grace shook her head, still smiling. I'll stop her after she finishes the first lap. Okay, I need something to write on, Imp said. Anyone? Here, I said, getting a notepad from my belt. I handed it to her. Why? She handed the notepad to Tecton, so Tecton can write something down and I hold it up, like a cue card, and Rachel recites it, sounding like a genius, and we blow Dr. Baby Talk's mind. And if he turns around, I use my power, so he's never the wiser. Tecton nodded. I can do that. I winced. There's a flaw in that. It's brilliant, Imp said. She looked around, turning to Perrion and foil. Parian only extended a hand towards Rachel. What? Imp asked. Parian gestured again, pointing. I don't get it. Rachel... Oh. I don't read much, Rachel said, blunt. And now I feel like a dick, Imp said. I don't care, Rachel said. She probably doesn't. That doesn't make it me any less of a dick. How often do I get reminders about the reading thing? It doesn't matter, Rachel said. She looked annoyed. This is why I don't talk to people. Why are we still talking about this? She was more irritated by the fact that Imp wasn't dropping it than the fact that her illiteracy had been brought up. Maybe if I come with, Tecton offered, I'll distract whoever Dr. Babytalk is and you can talk to Miss Militia about dosing your dogs. Or you could tell me what you were going to write down and I memorize it, Rachel said. A few people in the group exchanged glances. Really simple solution, Rachel said, except now she was talking to us like we were the idiots. I'm not sure I could memorize it, Tecton confessed. The kid that's running the lap said you weren't that smart, Rachel answered. Try me. Uh, Okay, Uh, I see three possible outcomes. Rachel repeated what he'd said. They continued, Imp leaning forward and kicking her legs while they dangled from the edge of the bin. Grace interrupted my observations. You're wearing black. I felt a bit of guilt welling. No, guilt wasn't the right word. I was at peace with my decision. I just felt a little ashamed that I been- hadn't been more upfront about it, with the people I'd spent years working with. Yeah, I suppose you're not going to get around to having that meeting with the PRT guys, getting yourselves moved up from the wards to the Protectorate? Unless I'm reading too much into the costume choice. You're not, I said. No, I suppose I'm not going to have that meeting. Is it that we failed with the Jack thing? That's not the entirety of it, I said. But it's part of it, right? Isn't that unfair? We had like a 4% chance of success going in, and we didn't stop it from coming to pass, so you bail? I said, it's only part of it, I repeated myself. I know, she said. I could see Tecton and Rachel pause, catching something in Grace's tone. When Grace and I remained silent, they resumed. The cross-species interactions. uh, The cross-species interactions. I know, Grace said after a pause. I get that. I get that there's other reasons, like the fact that you love these guys and you never loved us. Cool. Makes sense. I liked you guys, but you didn't love us. No, I said. I get that, but Golem's pulling away too, and I know that's because we only had a fucking 4% chance and we failed. So I draw a connection. Think maybe you're more bothered about it than you let on. I looked at Cuff, who was watching me intently. She looked even more intent and focused than Grace did. Then again, she was a little more invested in how Gollum was doing than most. Yeah, I said, probably. It's shitty, she said, both Gollum and you, drifting away. I know, and it feels shitty, I said. Then that's consolation enough for me, Grace said. She relaxed a little, then glanced at Cuff. I'm not really the type to nurse grudges, Grace said. I just want Gollum thinking straight again. He took it hard, so you'll get my forgiveness if you go talk to him. I think that's something I can do, I answered her. She smiled. He's at the phone bank, near the station, if you want to find him. Now? But Cuff was smiling, looking so intent. Weaponized niceness. Right, I said. I turned to go and I could see people moving, running. I felt a pit swell in my stomach. "'No,' Imp said, following my line of sight. She could see the squads getting into formation. In the distance, the aircraft that had been moving refugees were turning around, coming back to us. "'No, no, we had such a good joke going, don't you dare ruin it!' Romp returned to us, breaking into a run to close the remainder of the distance." Someone's saying that he's hitting Sammich. It's one of the Earths Cauldron was going to watch over. There's only Dragon, the Guild, and some Protectorate guys there. Let's move, I said. Through the portal. We'll use the Dragonfly, faster than waiting for another ship. Rachel, look for Dr. Babytalk. If we can grab something from him before we leave, great, but let's not dawdle. There were nods all around. I could see the other heroes. Miss Militia and Glastig Wenye. Revel and Exalt leaders, subteams of the suits including the non combat teams of the hearts and cups people hurried to organize putting on costume pieces they left off and checking weapons clearing out the open spaces where shadows grew as the aircraft descended one by one the ships began to take off flying through the tall narrow portal three ships then four but the fifth didn't take off I reached out with my swarm trying to catch what people were talking about, to make sense of the situation, but everyone important was already on a ship. King of Hearts was the only person of any meaningful rank who spoke the same language I did who, and who wasn't mobilizing to leave. The leader of the Meisters, Vornham, was giving orders in German. A scary-looking master-class cape with an army of clay men gathering tinker weapons was ordering other people around with the same harsh voice as if he was commanding his own troops. But there was no explanation of why more ships weren't taking off. Had the fight already ended? Keep moving, I said, ordering the teams forward. Tattletail will know. As confusion descended, people started falling back into their previous state gathering in clusters of familiar people. It almost seemed like we were only group with direction, pushing against a milling crowd. We weren't, but the illusion was there. And that same effect made it possible to see when the crowd did find direction, a common, mutual interest. Heads turned, chins raised. People found postures where their feet were set apart, as if ready to move at a moment's notice. Scion. "'Here. Floating above the bay like he'd floated above the ocean in his first appearance. "'He's targeting us,' I realized. two of our organized settlements in as many minutes?' "'His hands hung at his sides. "'The golden light that radiated from him cleaned his clothes and hair, "'but there was enough blood on his costume "'that the light wasn't rendering it as pristine as it should. "'His eye sockets were dark.' with the way that his forehead blocked the sun's light. That same sunlight made the edges of his hair and body glow with the light that wasn't completely blocked. He didn't even raise his hand before he fired. Lights no bigger than basketballs streaked forward, leaving trails glittering behind them. Two of Dragon's ships detonated violently, occupants dead or grievously injured. People in the area of the craft wounded by the fallout. By the time I'd turned my head to see his follow-up, Scion had closed the distance, moving right into our midst. Capes with reflexes better than mine were already reacting, throwing a multitude of effects his way. He plunged through the defenses like they weren't even there. Something got in his way, but he flew around it without a second thought. He stepped right in front of a cape, quite possibly the cape that had stalled him momentarily. A dark-skinned man in gray. A swirling gray effect swelled between him and the target. He struck it with a glowing hand, and the effect distorted, growing thin. Another strike, and the effect dissipated. Other capes were hurling effects at him. Most glanced off. He caught his target around the throat. Didn't squeeze. But the golden light began to eat into the target's body and costume. Sion let the man drop. Not a scream, only twitching, frantic thrashing, as the golden light continued to consume. Foyle raised her arblest. I could see our entire group tense as she raised it, Parian's hands going to her mouth. A moment later, Parian's cloth was unfurling from behind her back. Rachel was making her dogs grow, while Cuff was manipulating a shot putt into a blade, like the one from a circular saw. For my part, I began drawing the bugs into decoys, sending them into the air. Oblivious to it all, Foyle took aim, then ran her hand down the bolt she'd loaded into place. I could see her draw in a breath. I'd taken marksmanship classes. Squeeze the trigger as you exhale. The shot flew through the air. Scion wheeled around and caught it. It wasn't just his costume, I could see. All the lines of his body, his hands, lines that made it so he didn't look wholly artificial. They were filled with the detritus of smoke and blood and other grit, and the golden light had only washed the surface clean. The deepest cracks held the remainder. It made fine lines mo- look more like crags. I was almost glad that it took away from his human appearance. He let the arbalest's bolt drop to the ground. His eyes were on Foyle. A golden light swelled in his hand. We spread out, but Foyle didn't even flinch, even as Cuff backed away. Foyle reached out to touch the saw blade, imbuing it with power. Sion reached out, and Parian used her power, encircling Foyle with the end of the length of cloth. Not an animal, only an arm. In the instant Sion loosed the ball of light, Parian flung Foil away. Not a simple throw, but a reckless, inhumanly strong one. Foyle was removed from the battle, sent beyond what could have been the outskirts of the city. If we were in bet, cast in the direction of the bay itself, until she was only a speck. The bolt hit the ground, 50 or 60 feet behind us. Other people died instead, people I didn't know. No longer interested in Foyle, Scion turned to the nearest cape, lunging. Cuff threw her circular blade. Without even looking, Scion batted it aside, striking the unaffected part of the middle. His intention was on a cape, and he swiped a glowing hand through the cape's abdomen. What didn't burn sold forth. His screams were joined by that of a friend. Another cape who screamed in horror over what had happened to him. Scion very deliberately walked past this cape to attack someone else. Picking us off. Choosing targets. Maximizing pain and suffering over raw destruction. Experimenting. And there was precious little we could do about it. Precious little I could do about it. My bugs formed into more decoys. Other bugs searched for the key players. Where was the man Rachel had described? The one with the serums. Where was Miss Militia? The Simurk was passing through the portal, and people who'd been trying to flee to Bet were now scattering, trying to flee both the Endbringer and Scion at the same time. Horribly timed as entrances went, our best hope was that he'd keep toying with us, that enough time would pass that Capes stationed at the other major portals could use the fast travel routes to get to us. Something like an endbringer was all too likely to change his mind. It's the beginning of the end. Hi, this is Ronku. You just finished listening to a chapter from Arc 29, Venom, from the web serial Worm, by J.C. McRae. This production is brought to you by the Worm Audiobook Project. If you'd like to know more about us, or to volunteer your own services, please check us out at audioworm.rein-online.org. You can download or listen to every chapter directly from our site, or you can find us on iTunes or any podcast app under Worm Audiobook. Thank you for listening.